don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. This is Optimus Primer Button, leader of the auto part junkies. And I'm calling on all auto parts junkies to listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars every Tuesday at 7 p.m. here on Tantalk. This is Optimus Primer Button. If you don't tune in, it will be the end of the world. Hey, this is Ted Nugent. Hi, this is Jay Leno. Hi, everybody. This is David Hobbs. Hi, this is Bob Marshall. Hi, I'm Barry McGuire. Hey, this is Danny the Count Coker. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver, Adam Carolla. Hi, this is Shirley Cha-Cha Muldowney. Hi, this is Robert Yates. Hey, this is Lou Santiago. I'm John Forrest. Hey, this is Jack Roush. Hello, Florida. I'm Ken Squire. Hi, this is Etzel Ford. Hi, I'm Corky Coker. Hey, this is Dennis Gage. Hi, this is Sam Amolo. Hi, this is Janet. Guthrie. Hi, I'm Bruce Cohn. Hi, I'm Bob Lutz. Hi, this is Dave McClellan. Hey, this is Tammy Edelbrock. Hi, this is Norm Gravowski. Hey, I'm Dave Despain. Hey, this is Wayne Carini. This is Bill Warner. Hey, I'm Steve Bignanti. This is Kevin Bird. This is Arlen Ness. This is Ed Justice Jr. Hi, I'm Casey Jones. Hi, I'm Paul Kelly. I'm Richard Hutchins. Hi, this is Danny Sullivan. Hi, I'm Bob Bondron. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Strange. This is Daryl Starbird. Hi, this is Fort Hickok. Hi, this is Ed Escadarian here. This is Robin Miller. Hey, Sports fans, this is Peter Brock here. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Belladora's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Friction is heat. You know, you take an engine where the lifter goes up and down, pushes the valve up and down, it really gets hot right there. That's where oil breaks down and where we have failures. AMS oil, on the other hand, it's a true synthetic lubricant. It's just idling right there. It doesn't even know it's being used. In other words, 300 degrees is whole hum to AMS oil. Hi, I'm Bobby Unser, three-time Indy winner. If you want red or green chili fast with the right flavor, New Mexico chili, just add water mix is the answer. Just add water, stir and simmer, and in five minutes, it's ready. The five-speed hill climb is where I became a believer in Amsoil. The rear end of my car would only make it up the mountain one time, and that's when I discovered Amsoil gear loop. After Amsoil, the rear end lasted through practice, qualifying, and race day, and set a new record. Plus, I used the same rear end the next year with absolutely no problems. So take it from Bobby Unser. Use Amsoil. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Barsha with Fox Sports. Normally, I'm at the racetrack or the Barrett-Jackson auctions for television. But if I'm not, I'm going to be listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I hope you will, too. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. 
Run to your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio in downtown Clearwater on this bright, sunny, humid day. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. And if you've missed any of our past shows, go to our website and visit Nostalgic Radio and Cars, our podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and Gulfstream Motorsports. Hi, Bobby. How are you doing this evening? Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. <laughs> I have my pride and joy, my son Bobby, co-producing the show with me this evening. Hey, on this 4th of July weekend, right, Bobby? Absolutely. Happy 4th of July to everybody. Yes, happy Independence Day. <laughs> Made in America, the way it should be. Anyway, hey, we got a great show for you this evening. we got a great guest. In fact, there was a clue at the beginning of the show who our legendary racer is going to be this evening. We've been looking for... I say that big talks where's the dude <laughs> Yeah, well, this gentleman has got a lot of stuff to talk about and a lot of stuff to brag about. This is a three-time IndyCar champion coming on this evening and a Pikes Peak driver and a former radio TV announcer for ESPN, ABC... CBS and all the good stuff. So we're really looking forward to having him on the show tonight. Anyway, while we're here, let me tell you about... Uh, glue Blue Meanies. Glue Blue Meanies. Yeah, last week we played a little uh, little bit from the 1970-71 uh, movie Vanishing Point starring uh, Barry Newman and Cleavon Little. Cleavon Little was kind of a disc jockey out in a little remote town. And he was blind and he was picking on the Glue Blue Meanies, which were the cops who were chasing our hero... In the White Challenger. Anyway, what do we got going on? Uh, let's see. This is June, and it's just about the last day of June, isn't it, here? Is this the 30th? Something like that, right, Bobby? Why, yes, it is. Why, yes, it is. Okay, I'm looking at our calendar here for uh, July, Gulfstream Motorsports, and <laughs> it's blank. You two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> anyway, so there are a couple shows going on in... Uh, up north, there's some local stuff going on. We've got the usual Biff Burger on Friday nights. We've got the usual uh, Quaker Steak and Lube on Thursdays. But all the big events are going to be up north because the weather is absolutely ideal for it. Here in Florida, it's a little on the muggy side, and I think this weekend everybody's going to be out boating and barbecuing. Does that sound like what they're going to be doing this weekend, Bobby? You bet. You betcha. Okay, hey, you know, um, this is a show about cars. This is a show about... Uh, Downtown Dave. <laughs> this is a show about... Uh, what's the show about? Oh, about uh, race cars, about street cars, about classic cars, about custom cars, about junk cars, about all kinds of cars, and personalities and legendary and fascinating individuals in motorsports that have had their hands in the world of motorsports. But anyway, um, if you get a chance, I'm going to go ahead and do a shameless plug for our... YouTube videos. Bobby, you want to do that for me real quick? Tell everybody how to find our YouTube videos, which is actually my son's idea because uh, his uh, major in school is going to be uh, basically film and theater. So we've been kind of playing around with this little YouTube gimmick because you know how Yeah, they... how about that? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know the way it works pretty much today, if you don't know how to do something, nobody runs to a book anymore and buys a manual or anything like that. You go to YouTube. You quote unquote YouTube it. And there's always somebody on there that has done something to answer any of the questions, I don't care whether they're putting uh, seafoam in their fuel tank or if they're showing you how to build a, a crate to store your motors or if they're cleaning a custom steering wheel or if they're uh, rebuilding an engine or changing the rear end or whatever it might be. You know, change spark plugs in the 1965 Mustang, all kinds of stuff's on YouTube. So, anyway, Bobby, go ahead. Lead in. So, you all need to go and subscribe to the Nostalgic Radio and Cars YouTube page. Yes, it's been around since, I believe, 20, 2011, but it just now took a nice little revamping and a nice facelift with some new videos, which that series is Projects Gone Bad. We're proud to introduce Projects Gone Bad to Nostalgic Radio and Cars YouTube. So once you subscribe, then you can uh, enjoy... After so, you skip, after no, don't skip the ads. Uh, click on them. We, we, you'll figure that out later. Um, and we'll, we'll please we're watch gonna, them. We're going to show you some simple DIY. I did that right. DIY. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. Simple fixes for your projects gone and bad. And that's the slogan: cars, parts, and DIY projects or DIY fixes for your projects gone bad. Yeah, the whole idea is is that you know me being a junkyard guy and me having to tinker around with uh, my stuff all the time. You know, we came up with this idea. It was actually Bobby's idea. That uh, what we should do is we should video this stuff, and I don't care if it's doing something simple. And really, is what it, that's what it boils down to. It's just simple stuff. Like for example, you got a little bit of rust on something. You know, everybody kind of panics and go, "Oh my god, I got to throw this out and got to replace it." Well, you know, in the old days, we did you say 
liars. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of extra money. So what you did, you had to make do. And you had to figure out how to make do, you know, with no money. So what we would do is lifetime we would find, you know, little, uh, I don't care if it's steel wool, if it's some really extra fine sandpaper, or if it's uh, some some chrome cleaner or something like that. You know, you got out there and you use a little elbow grease and use use whatever materials you got uh, and a little bit of uh, ambition and you kind of revived something. You took something that was kind of ugly, old, and nasty, and you kind of made it uh, functional. And, uh, of course, if you're into the old-school hot rod thing, that's pretty much uh, what we are all about because we're basically not – there's nothing wrong with buying a lot of reproduction stuff. There's not, nothing wrong with buying a lot of new stuff. But there's something kind of cool and intrinsic, and, uh, you know, it has character when you start – you know, messing with something old and you kind of bring it back to life. And if you're working on a car, unless you change everything, make everything brand new, and you're just working on an older car, you want to kind of keep it so it's got a little bit of that old school flavor, you know, that patina that, uh, you know, hear a lot of people talking about. Well, that's kind of what we do in this show is like, for example, I'll take an old gauge. For example, I'll take it apart. I'll show you basically how to clean it up a little bit, get it ready for paint prepping, you know, primer and this final coat of paint. I'll take the lens out. For example, if it's glass, I'll show you how to clean it with steel wool, which actually works good on glass, but you got to have four odd. Or we'll show you how to sit there and very, very lightly with with 1,500 and 2,000 grit sandpaper, sand something down, then take some buffing compound and basically clean a plastic lens on your gauges, you know, and actually bring them back to life. So it's actually pretty cool stuff that we're doing. So, again, check out our YouTube channel. How do they find it again, Bobby? Go to YouTube.com slash Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And they can find and it. And they will pop up and hit that little subscribe button, and you will see all the brand new lineup of Projects Gone Bad videos that are going to be coming through your timeline here real shortly. Okay, we've got five of them so far, right? Is that how many we got? Uh, four, and then there's a very, for your one-minute entertainment of watching your show host, Robert, run around on an air wheel. For the sake of nostalgic radio and cars, that is the most entertaining one of them all, I think. That was last uh, year at the uh, yes, Superboat Super races. races. Yeah, that was fun. Okay. Well, anyway, hey, let's jump into uh, cars a little bit. I just got my uh, latest and greatest magazine from Sports Car Market. Actually, this is American Car Collector, and this is a publication that I write auction analysis reports for. They have two publications. It started out as Sports Car Market, but then because a lot of guys are into American cars, hey, they Just came say, show me the Carfax. That's right. They came out with American Car Collector. And uh, so I have in front of me the July-August 2015 edition. But also what they do is they enclose this time the Sports Car Market Pocket Guide. Now, I had to kind of like gaze through this a little bit because you guys all know that I buy and sell cars and parts and deal mostly with vintage stuff. So vintage being <laughs> pre-1970. Two, but I actually go up to later years, too, okay? So let's just say really nothing past 881. You know, that would be the last of the second-gen Camaros and Firebirds, for example, which I still think are pretty good cars. And while I'm on the subject of Camaros, and the reason I brought this up is because a friend of mine just called me up, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get access to this car or not, but he's got a 1973 Trans Am 455 Firebird, a factory Brewster green car with an automatic. Now, if you guys remember the TV, not TV, the movie, Back in 1973-74, came out with John Wayne. It was called Mac Q. That's it, Pilgrim. Where he played a, uh, a detective. And in that movie, he drove a 1973 Brewster Green 455 Trans Am, which unfortunately got mangled sometime during the film. And um, <laughs> it, was, uh, <laughs> it was in an uh, alleyway, and two garbage trucks decided to uh, sandwich that poor car. But anyway, so this friend of mine... This friend of mine called me up, and he's been working on this deal for quite a while. Now, this is a true one-owner car. I have yet to see the car, but I think it's kind of interesting. And uh, so it's a one-owner car, unmolested, original motor, original tranny, original rear end, which in, you know, 71, 2, 3, and uh, 4 and up, those are basically 10-bolt rear ends. 70 was the only year that they put a 12-bolt rear end in a second-gen Camaro or Firebird. So if you ever happen to find one of those, those are worth some money. A lot of people looking for them. As many of those that got crashed, trashed, and rotted out over the years. But anyway, so I'm looking at this pocket guide, and I decided to say, well, what's this car really worth? You know, because they're all over the board. So I, um, I'm on page, whatever it is here, 61, and unfortunately my eyeballs are not as good as they used to be. And, uh, and i got to get new glasses, at least for the purposes of this TV show, radio show, um, because the lighting is not that good. So anyway, so I'm looking in here. And I go to this one page, and it's actually page 94 of my little handy-dandy pocket guide, and I'm looking up 73 Trans Am. Now, this is not an SD, a Super Duty. This is just a regular Trans Am with a 455 in it. 
and it's showing that they made somewhere around 4,550 of these cars. They're saying that on the low side, that car's worth 18, and on the high side, that car's worth 28. Although, I know for a fact that some of those cars I've seen sell across the block, hammered now, believe it or not, somewhere around uh, $35,000 and $40,000. Now, this thing also breaks down investment grade. So this car, they, they label this car as investment grade C, all right, and then they forecast it with three stars. Now, I'm going to go to the legend at the beginning of this little booklet I got just to see what that means, basically. Define what investment grade three is. He's a roach. <laughs> says investment grade three, cars that have some inherent interest, really now, uh, but had a few special or desirable characteristics. <laughs> Examples, Porsche, 9, <laughs> Porsche 914, Saab Sonnet, and a Triumph TR4. Wait a minute, this can't be right. This has got to be for... Did uh, you say liars? Yeah, they are, absolutely. I don't know who wrote this book. Well, keep in mind now, the guys from Sports Car Market, they're good friends of mine, but I think they're a little bit too partial to uh, European cars. And course, Just say, show me the Carfax. <laughs> and since foreign cars are all the rage. Okay. Yeah, how about that? All right, let's jump back to... Uh, let's do. Let's just, uh, by comparison, let's look at a Mustang, for example. Here we go. we got a Mustang. 1970, well, 73 is not really a, a cool car, but um, 77 would be more desirable. But in fairness to Pontiac, uh, I'm looking at a 1965 Mustang, just real quickly, just a 2 plus 2. It says investment grade B. All right. Well, what do they consider investment grade A? Well, right up above it is a 1964, 5, or 6, or 7, 4 GT40. Well, yeah, duh. Okay, let's just see here. Let's see. I just hate stupid people. <laughs> Here's your sign. Uh, let's go. 1970 Mustang with a, well, let's say a 428 would be comparable. That's got an investment grade of B. If it was a Boss 302, that's got an investment grade of A. A Boss 429, clearly an A and four stars. Okay, well, all right. So that's how they rate this. It's just kind of good to know. Uh, again, keep in mind, these publications... Uh, they're always taking averages. They throw out the low, throw out the high, and it's just the guideline. But the bottom line is, is if you're getting in a classic car, doesn't matter what shape it is, as long as the car puts a smile on your face. I don't care if it's a 1961 Rambler American four-door station wagon. If they made one, I think they made a two-door wagon. They might have made a four-door wagon. But let's just say, for example, you know that, or it is a 1969 Boss 429, or a 65 Austin Healey, or a 69 Camaro, or you know, an LS6 Chevelle or something like that. The main thing is buy what you like because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, and when everything blows up, you're still going to have a 1970 LS6 Chevelle sitting in your garage that you're going to love, or you're going to have a 1961 Rambler American station wagon sitting in your garage that you also love. So that's what it's all about. Bobby, we got uh, our guest coming on in a few minutes, so let's go ahead and roll a couple commercials. Okay, let's listen to some Elvis. Hey, Elvis! Yeah, you know, Viva Las Vegas was on the other day, but we're not going to play Viva Las Vegas. We're going to play Spin Out. 1965, and he drove a Cobra. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back! Buddy, let me warn you. You're on a one-way street. She'll crowd your clothes, spin your wheels. Then you're going to know how it feels to spin out. Better watch those curves Never let her steer If she can shake your nerves Boy, then she can strip your gears She'll get your heart going fast Then she'll let you run out of gas So spread out Spread out Flag you down 
that's a goal. Scoot before you lose control. It's been a This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Okay, we're back. And you tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And a few minutes ago, just before the break, we were talking about sports car market and the pocket price guide. And we were trying to figure out some of the ratings on these cars. I uh, paged over to foreign cars real quick. And, of course, the hottest thing going right now are Porsches. And I'm looking through the um, Porsche thingy here. And just about every Porsche is a B, three stars, four stars, or an A, three stars, four stars. There's a couple C's here, but they're basically uh, 356s that are basically um, the low horsepower ones. But still, they're bringing insane money. Then you jump over then the those two dicky dopes. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, they actually have a D in here. And uh, and this goes out to my buddy Jeffy, who's been wanting to buy an, a Porsche. And I keep telling him, you know, the 911s is a pretty popular car, but the 74, 75, 76, and 77 911 2.7 magnesium case cars, which I had one way back in the day, a 75, those things are not that s- okay, polite, not that desirable. And the reason being is because that motor is always grenaded on those things. They were magnesium case. The engines before that and the engines after that were all aluminum case. These things used to come apart. They were light. Um, they had air boxes. They blew up all the time. Man, and they're not that nice-looking car. You know, it wasn't until 78 when they actually kind of added the Carrera flares to them, and they were pretty cool. So those cars actually are in the D and C range. All the rest of the 911s, though, are uh, creeping up there. Then you jump into 1984 to 86. Whoa, they slide back down to Cs. How about that? So, ah, what the heck. Then you get into the 964, which is basically in 1989, late 89, 90 to 94 cars. Those all are in the C range, except for the turbos. Then you jump into 993s. Wow, even some of the 993s are Cs. Okay, well, I'm not sure who writes this book, but... Uh, Drunk and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about this. I would I, I would take issue with this. You know, as an appraiser, and I look at these cars... Um, you know, that's, that's the other thing I was going to tell you again. And there's no substitute for experience. There's no substitute for someone that knows a lot about cars and that has been around them. If you want to consult somebody and talk to them about cars, you need to talk to somebody that's either owned them, dra- drove them, drove them, driven them, crashed them, trashed them, bought and sold them, had friends that had them, but just there's was... too many self-indulgent wieners in this city. Yeah, basically. Uh, you know, you want to be around somebody that really knows the cars, you know, because... You can't read this stuff. You, there, there's no substitute for experience. And on that note, I think it's time to sit there and play a song and get our guests on the radio. Wow, we're 52 seconds late. <laughs> By the clock that's in here, my, my time bomb clock. Hey, Speedway, I got a little Elvis Presley coming to you. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Radio Cards. Don't touch that dog. We'll be right back. Horse of steel, a whole lot of sweat, a set of wheels. On the speedway, the flag is down, the 
pistons pound, plenty of engine for ripping the ground. Hold the speedway. Go for the money and lead the pack. Push the throttle and burn the track. Spin, hit the brakes. And your little girl shivers and shakes. Hold the speedway, clear the way, coming through. A kiss from your baby is pushing you. Hold the speedway, go for the money and lead the pack. Push the throttle and burn the track. making a bold move up in the middle of the pack as Jody Schechter in the gold number 16 jumps into the lead and we've got an accident off the start that's Bobby Allison number four on the wall and Bobby Unser number 11 bangs into the wall and my goodness look at Bobby Unser's Camaro absolutely caved in on the right side he's trapped in the car Hi, this is Sam Posey, formerly a racing driver and today a commentator for NBC Sports covering Formula One. And you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. And you tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our special guest for this evening. This gentleman is legendary in the world of racing. He's been around for a long time. He's experienced all kinds of racing. He's been a radio and TV commentator. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening three-time Indianapolis champion winner, Bobby Unser. Bobby, are you there? I am here. How are you this evening? And Sonny, where are you? Albuquerque? I'm doing good. Good to hear from you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, well, let's just get right into this. Tell us a little bit about uh, Bobby Unser. When you first got into cars, how old were you? Because you come from a long line of car guys. Yes, we do. And uh, I was 15 when I started. And uh, you were supposed to be 21 in those days. But, uh, you know, nobody really cared back then. Lawsuits weren't so prevalent in this and that and the other, you know. When you were a young kid, before the days you got into racing, were you kind of a hot rod or two, or were you, I mean, what was like your first car? Well, our first car, I got one when I was eight. My brothers were nine, uh-huh. and uh, we couldn't drive on the streets, but out we're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we had lots of country out here as far as you wanted to go, we had. It was an easy thing to do, you know. So what was your first car? Model A Ford. Model A yeah. Ford. Yeah, an old Model A, and we had some donkeys. We sold five donkeys and bought the Model A. <laughs> <laughs> that was a game. That was a lot faster than the donkeys. Were, uh, even uh, uh, it wasn't abs- really that fast, you know. Okay, that's good. Now, back in those days, what type of racing was around? Uh, what did people, I mean, racing in Albuquerque, what was it like in the early days? Well, it was really good. Albuquerque was you know, a place where they just didn't care. In other words, they knew we weren't 21. They didn't like it from the fact that we were outrunning everybody, myself and my brothers, but nobody made an issue out of not being 21 in those days. Was it like... My my brother Al went to Pikes Peak one year, and they found out he wasn't 21, like for just a little bit of time, and they wouldn't let him run. So it was kind of like a very different thing. And the thing different was Albuquerque, not that big of a town in those days. Well, like racing, was it like circle track, dirt track? Uh... No, they were super, we started the super modifieds here. I'm sorry I got off on okay. that. No problem. But, but Albuquerque was where the uh, Hot Rod Magazine did a study on it one time, and this is where super modified racing started. It's where it all happened. Okay. 
and uh, so we had fast cars. And, and what were they in those days that would be like you'd go to the junkyard, hopefully get a 32 Ford, something like that, you know, not too big a car. You weren't looking for limousines. You were looking for the other end of the spectrum being light and small. And uh, that's, that's what it was. And so, and you could put any kind of an engine in the frame any place you wanted. So it was trooper, true super modified. In other words, I used a, uh, my first car was a pickup truck body on just some frame. I don't know what frame we had. Didn't make a lot of difference. Just came out of the wrecking yard. And uh, we had a, uh, my dad found a, a Cadillac flathead engine. That was before they had the overhead valves on them. Mm-hmm. And actually it was a LaSalle, which means it's a little smaller than a Cadillac engine inside. But my dad wore it out and made it into a Cadillac size. And gosh, we won so many races with that thing. It was unbelievable. We were just untouchable with that car. What? Very light and just more horsepower than normal cars would have. When uh, when was your first experience with uh, Pikes Peak? Because now you're in Albuquerque. How far away was Pikes Peak from where you were? Because Pikes Peak's in Colorado, right? Four hundred. Yeah, it's in Colorado Springs, and it's about four hundred miles from here. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a freeway in those days, so it was four hundred miles. You know. Okay. And what was the what was the allure? About Pikes Peak, because that seemed like to be one of the ultimate challenges in the Midwest, or actually in, in Western uh, United States back in the day. Yes, and well, it was a it was a, uh, a complete championship race. In other words, they used to run Pikes Peak cars used to be sometimes the same cars that ran at Indianapolis. Now, that totally was not the best thing to do. I can promise you that. But that's what we did, and uh, that's that's what. That's what they did, you know? Well, you know, I mean, Pikes Peak, from the bottom to the top, the actual racing circuit is how long? Twelve and a half miles. Twelve and a half miles, straight up. And how wide is the actual road? Well, it's not, it's, it's not straight up. It's, it's not as straight away as you might be thinking. I better explain that. It's got a, it's got a little 160 turns in it. Yeah, okay. 160. So no, it isn't straight up, but no, it isn't like just climbing a hill. It's a mountain, a giant mountain. Okay. 14,110 feet high. So it's not a hill. You couldn't have a road just going straight up. It would be the closest thing to impossibility on this earth, you know? Right. It's got 160 turns, and it's a highway. It's, uh, of course, in the old days, it was obviously a heck of a lot narrower than it is today. Now, today, it's even paved. So today, I don't much look at it anymore because the good racing up there and the good contest was when they had big national drivers came out and raced in Pikes Peak, and it, it, awarded, it awarded points. For the national championship, and for all the drivers that hypothetically came from Indianapolis or ran the circuit. Okay, but it was a separate race and a separate event on its own, correct? Well, yes, it was. It always had to be, but it was not a separate one. That's what I just explained to oh, you. Oh, okay. It was part of oh. the national championship circuit that the Indianapolis cars ran on as they went around the United States. Oh, so you almost... You me? It, it was one race out of however many they had. Let's just say they had 15 or 18 races, whatever. It was one race of that group of races. Okay, I got you. I got you. Now I understand. Well, take... So it was many of the Indianapolis car drivers Okay. cars that came out, sometimes as a combination, sometimes as a separate deal. And most of those guys didn't particularly like Pikes Peak. Okay. The drop-offs were pretty extreme. You know, you had 500,000-foot drop-offs pretty often. Mm-hmm. And that isn't straight up again. <laughs> right. Joking with you. I understand. That is, that is uh, a very, very much a road race. What, um, I mean, your skill level 
to be able to compete at that event, and it's pretty much all out, all the way up, correct? It's got to oh, be for sure. You go as fast as you can go, but no, you can't run it wide open. You wouldn't make it past the first turn. Okay. So In other words, if you ran wide open, there's not a car, unless it was really, really one that only had one cylinder left running in it, that you could go wide open through the first turn, <laughs> you'd crash. Okay. So and, and you'd crash quickly, and if you did make it through the first one by accident, you dang sure wouldn't make it through the second one. You know? <laughs> okay. So don't worry about that. There's no wide open like you see the Indy cars going around some racetracks wide open. No, you wouldn't do that at Pikes Peak. You just have a whole probably by now there probably be a couple of thousand of dead drivers. You know? <laughs> okay. Well, what would be your average speed if you had to, you know, on an, to to get from the bottom to the top of the hill? Well, now remember it's 160 turns. Right. Okay. That that doesn't mean it's straight. That means that you're going to have to. Some of them are. There's a high number of hairpin turns. In case you don't know what a hairpin turn is, take a girl's hairpin. Put it down on your desk and look at it. Right. So you come up, you make a tight 180-degree turn, you go back in the opposite direction just went. And Pikes Peak has a number of those. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then it's got some faster turns, too. So the average, when you go up, is what they look at. is, is It's way over 60 miles an hour today, but when it was dirt and gravel, which was only a few years ago, then the average would have been 60 miles an hour would have been a really good average speed. Average. Okay. That's from the time you started the starting line till you crossed the finish line at 14,110 feet up with 160 turns in between. All of that going up, you know? Wow, that's incredible. Oh, it's a treacherous place, but it's fun. We were born and raised in the mountains, so we liked it that okay well you guys are the first family of pikes peak there's no question about that well you know i won 13 of them i nobody's going to do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a testament the rule nobody's going to beat bobby answer on pikes peak (laughs) all right well said now let's talk about indycar because you went from pikes peak and racing around the local you know modified circuit and stuff and you got your first indy ride who do who do you Back in the day, who would you credit uh, to, to you know to to launch help launch your uh, indie career? Well, first of all, let me go back to the beginning. I didn't go from super modified to Indianapolis. That'd be kind of hard to do. Oh, okay, and and I had hundreds and hundreds of midgets in sprint car races. Okay, many 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 races, jalopy races, anything any anything it was except for drag racing. Okay. See, I had to kind of do that in between because when I went to Indianapolis, you couldn't do that. You couldn't go to Indianapolis without the zone supervisor from AAA saying, this cat's good enough to go drive it in Indianapolis. Otherwise, having a rich daddy in those days wouldn't help and wouldn't count or a big sponsor. It just went against things, went the other way. So... That's the way it was then, so I drove hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of races before I ever got a chance to go to Indianapolis, you see. Okay. So, but what it, it, It's just not an easy one step. Now, today, I'll grant you, it is. If you have a daddy that's got a lot of money, they don't care whether you've got experience or not. They just need a car count up. And, uh, but it wasn't that way for most of the years of the Indianapolis 500, you see. Back in the early days. Well, let me ask you this too. Let's digress for a second. Were you you pretty much did you did you work on the cars? Were you kind of a wrench back in the day as well? Well, I built cars. Okay. So obviously worked on them. I didn't have any, but didn't have any money. Had to do it myself. Okay. My dad taught us all of us kids how to be mechanics, builders, racers, drivers, owners, and we were not a poor family, but we were certainly never more than than a lower middle class. Okay. But we still did our racing, and we were successful at it, very successful. What was the family business when you grew up? Garage business. Oh, it was garage? Okay. Oh, for sure. <laughs> okay. I mean, I really did it. I'm not I'm not a talker about it. I mean, my hands used to get dirty all the time. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I owned a shop for many years myself. When my dad retired, I bought the business from him and ran that. Okay. And we were in the foreign car parts and service business, you know. Foreign cars is what you worked yeah. on? 
Well, I worked on Americans, too, but mainly foreign cars. Which ones? What kind of foreign cars do you work on? Well, you, what kind would you like to have? You what? name it, I worked on them. Okay, so Jaguars, Austin Healey's, Triumphs, uh, Porsches, all of them. Every car that you could almost name, I worked on. Frank Lloyd Wright used to send his cars up here from Phoenix for us. Really? Yes. Wow. We, we were a, a, a foreign car parts and service. Interesting. These, I don't care what it was. We could work on it. What I don't ca- care if it I'd do a Ferrari one day and do a Jaguar the next day, do an MG the next day, you know, whatever. It didn't make any difference. We were mechanics, and we were very good mechanics. Just out of curiosity, because I've always been a Lloyd Wright fan, as you mentioned it, what kind of cars did he send up there for you guys to work on? Uh, the only one I last can remember was an AC, but you probably don't even know what it is. Yeah, I know. And it, was it okay. an AC Bristol? Or, I mean, they had a little no, BMW. No, 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 no. I knew you was going to go there. <laughs> okay. Just call it an AC. An AC? Yeah. Okay, so what year would that be? That would have been like late 40s? Oh, uh, now you're tapping me. I can't get it. <laughs> go back. Now you've gone too far. Okay. <laughs> I can barely remember my name. I'm not going to remember that many years back on... Well, no, that's interesting, though. That's re- that's really good. See, I'm, what I'm trying to do in this interview is I'm trying to talk about some stuff that uh, is kind of different for you, take you back down memory lane a little bit, you know? So. Well, we worked on foreign cars, you know, when the Jaguar first came out, as an example, that, uh, when, I don't remember what year, I think maybe 1949. Yeah. And at any rate, in the newspapers, in the in the books, Life, Look, whatever books you want to talk about, they'd advertise a car that had the the fastest production car in the world that we live on. That's the whole globe. Right. That's what Jaguar was. Well, I became a a like a Jaguar specialist. That's really? me. Okay. Personally, me. The, the, the one set of shoes that I walked in. And people used to bring the Jaguars for Bobby Answer, a 16-year-old kid, to work on West Texas, all of Colorado, all of New Mexico, almost all of Arizona. And uh, most of Colorado would bring their Jaguars down here for me to work on. Interesting. Yes, and I, I I was quite successful with it, believe it or not. So you worked on the old 120s, the 140s, the 150s, all of them then, right? Yes. The 3.8 the, the Jaguar had came right in the shop that I own right out in front of my house here. Okay. That's where the design of it came. My dad was the first one that made a 3.8. Jaguar engine. The company copied my my father's stuff, pistons, camshafts, all of that stuff came right from here. Well, that's interesting because the earlier cars were three point fours, right, and three twos. Three twos. Right. Okay. Three fours came way later. Three point eight came way before the three two. You're thinking a little sedan, you know? Okay. Interesting. I, did, car. I didn't know that. Don't try to tax me too much on Jaguars <laughs> today. I mean, I just. Uh, you know, that's no. what I did when I was young, 16 years old, you know. Well, I can't remember too much when I was 16, you know. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing just great. Well, let me ask you this. Did you ever race any Jaguars? Yes, I did. I won Pike's Peak for the first time with a Jaguar engine in a real racing chassis. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Wow. We sold one year. We we sold my... Uh, I just became of age because we had to adhere to the 21-year rule up there. Uh-huh. So... We sold uh, one of my super modifieds and bought a, a different chassis, and uh, then we got a Jaguar engine and put it in there. And I won the race in uh, my first race at Pikes Peak. Second time I ran there, I won with the Jaguar engine car. And it's in my brother's museum right this minute as you're talking to me. Very interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, let me ask you this. What about that some... was the invention of the 3.8. The three... That was the first, only one in history. Okay. That engine, see? Okay, yeah, because it later... Jaguar copied it, and, and they sold many, many, many of those cars all over the world, or those engines, you know? Right, well, they went, I believe, the first production one was 1961, and they put it in the E-Type Roadster, and I think they put it in the sedan, the 3.8, but that was a good little motor. No question about mm-hmm. that. Now, mm-hmm. So basically, you guys developed it into a 3.8 out of necessity because you guys were building a race motor. Is that what it was? Yes. Interesting. But, but what you're not understanding is is Pike's Peak. Okay. It goes up in the altitude, straight, not straight up as you said. Okay, so right. It, no, no. I understand. But it, it still went up. I don't care how you look at it. It took 160 turns to get there. 
but 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 when the, the road was designed and built, it couldn't go straight up. That would have taken trillions of dollars in those days, and it probably would have taken fifty years <laughs> to do something like that. So it wouldn't happen. So right. So as you go up in altitude, remember it stops at fourteen thousand one hundred and ten feet high. So that means you lose about three percent per thousand from the start of the race. You lose about three percent of your horsepower for every thousand feet that you go up. Oh, you really? Start at, you start at roughly nine thousand, uh-huh. and you go to fourteen. Okay. So if you if you take and subtract nine from fourteen, then multiply by three. That's how much horsepower. Okay. That you lose on the way up. So therefore. You want to start at the bottom with as much horsepower as you can, because no matter who you are, it's a fact the way God made this world, it's going to lose 3% for every 1,000 feet that you go up in horsepower. Is that due due to the fact that the air is thinner up there and you lose it? That's right. Now we're getting down to it. The air gets thinner the higher you go. Gotcha. Okay. How long did that race actually take you back in those days? To get from the 9,000 to the 14,110 feet, how long did it take you to run that race? Well, you can't say one time because I never ran that I didn't break a record. Oh, okay. Well, on an average. On an average. Well, I lowered the record from... I don't remember. I'd have to get my Pikes Peak books up, but I went from 15 to 14 to 13 to 12 in minutes, you know, to the top. Wow. So it's kind of like an answer that's too technical just to say. I understand. Because I never won that race. I won it 13 times. Okay. I never won the race, but I didn't set a, a record. Excellent. So I'd have to get my Pikes Peak book out to answer your question and start going. You'd have to see a year. I'd say, okay, that year we went hypothetically 13 minutes. Was during that time, that, that those 15 minutes or 20 minutes that you're staging and you're getting ready to run up to the top of the hill? Never took me 20 minutes, I promise you. Okay, okay. Well, well let's say, <laughs> once you're sitting on the, on the grid, you know, and you're ready to go up to the top of the hill, uh-huh. was it, you have to totally get your mind psyched up because it is truly a complete 100% focus and it's it's almost like you're wrestling the car all the way up because you guys are fighting that thing all the way up there, right? I mean, there's oh, kind of- for sure, for sure. But but in those days, the road was only ground up granite, which uh-huh. people just referred to granite rocks, pulverized, okay. which people referred to it as being dirt, even though there wasn't any dirt there. See, uh-huh. and and so you slid from the time you left the starting line or before you got to the starting line because it was always a running start. Mm-hmm. Understanding start. Okay. And so you slid all the way, spun your wheels all the way up. And and a lot of the innovations, inventions, uh, we did at Pike's Peak. For example, the two-ply tire. Like if you see a midget race today, if you see a sprint car race today, just to give you two examples, drag mm-hmm. racing, every drag race, you'll never see a car running without a two-ply tire unless it's a an organization that has some spec series where they don't allow it. All of them run two-ply tires. That was my invention. Oh, really? I did it with Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, a little bitty company up in Akron, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what, speaking of, you talk about innovations. That's and how we got Goodyear into racing was through the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Interesting. So yeah. what other innovations were you responsible for um, that was... Oh, uh, many of them. Many, of them? many, 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 many innovations. Put walnut shells in the, in the rubber on the tires. Walnut shells? Many things, engine-wise. Many things. Interesting. Many, many, hundreds of things that, that we innovated. Okay. The answers of one up there, something like total for the family, 35 or 38 times. Uh-huh. In all the divisions that we ran in, well, so uh, you can think it that much. We didn't just go run like on a weekend. Many innovations it took to do that. Uh huh. Well, you know, one of your biggest fans was actually from your area there, Denise McCluggage. Unfortunately, she just passed away, but she used to talk about you guys all the time. I knew that girl for a long time. Ever since she was a little girl, not a little bit young, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, she she was the one that coined the phrase "the first family of Pikes Peak," being you guys. Um, well, me, for sure. Let me ask you this real quick, because um, we got mm-hmm. a few minutes left. When you were growing up, and 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 obviously you followed racing, I presume. Who was some of the 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 the, the hero race car drivers that you kind of uh, looked like that kind of inspired you when you were growing up? Oh, 
Harbaugh, Tony Bentonhausen, Troy Rutman. God, there was Tony Bentonhausen was my personal hero. Uh-huh. Used to, we had a gas station here while we had the garage that I was describing to you, and and uh, Tony would always stop by. They didn't fly airplanes across the country in those days. They drove their cars, Highway 66, no I-40, I-70, and so on. So 66 is what we were on, Highway 66. And he'd always stop and buy gas and spend the night in Albuquerque, and believe it or not, used to take me to dinner. And I never figured out, even up to the time that he passed away on us, I never figured out why he did that. But he did it. Now, I was a young kid, starting at 15 years of age. And so after that, Tony obviously knew that I was trying to become a good race driver. And for some reason or another, he just took me under his wing and and, uh, showed interest and that's all he could help a young kid, you know? Mm-hmm. I wasn't smart enough to be smart yet. You know? <laughs> well, you proved everybody wrong there because you won so many championships. And how many times? 13 times you took the took, uh, Pike took Pike Speak speaking. alone, yes. Yeah, that exactly. isn't the only race that I won, though. You no, know? no, 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 that's true. That's true. <laughs> but Troy Rutman was one of my heroes, too. And he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, he was my brother Jerry's very best friend. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, we've just, uh, there were just people like that that became, that were my heroes. That's excellent. That, that I just looked up to and, and uh, just couldn't be around them enough, you know? Well, Bobby, we are just about out of time. I want to thank you very much for taking we're a few minutes. We're out of time too fast. We had a lot to say here. I know, so but yes, we... Good question. Thank you very much. Would you be willing to come on the show again sometime? Because I'd love to have you on because i got lots of questions. I'd be happy. Anybody that talks about real racing... I like. Absolutely. Hey, and let's the show that talks about real racing. I'm for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. Hey, listeners, I want to thank my special guest, Bobby Unser, legendary three time IndyCar champion winner, 13 time Pipes Peak winner, for coming on our show tonight. In the meantime, don't forget to tune in our radio show every week, Tuesday, between 7 and 8 p.m., for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and GolfstreamMotorsports.com. See you at some of the races. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Telling tales out of school, but there's a feller in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.